word of God. You can be seated. We'll check him out. Look at this little boy. This is little Isaiah. And Isaiah is what? Between two and three months old, I guess. And he's just taking it all in this morning. Look at that. Isn't he precious? You know, it's interesting because um, it's a surprise, I know, to you for me to have a little child on the stage. But, but the reality is when we come to Christmas, I think often we think of Jesus uh, like uh, little Isaiah. Uh, we, we think of Jesus as a baby boy, right? We think of Jesus being born as a baby, and perhaps we miss some of the deeper significance of who he was. And we miss some of the deeper significance of his birth. Why was this baby born, and why was this child so very significant? And, uh, and, and true, he was born like little Isaiah. He depended on his mom. He must have had uh, the help of his parents or he would not have grown up to become a man. But he was born so different than Isaiah too. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Some sermons are intended to change the way you behave. I mean, that's, that's there are sermons that are intended to do that. Other sermons are intended to change the way you think. And today's sermon is intended to change how you think. And so you'll need to take notes, and I'm going to hand Isaiah off to Paul and Gabby, but you'll need to take notes this morning, and I'm convinced that as you change how you think about the baby Christ, you will also change how you act. You see, Isaiah in chapter 9 gives us a picture of this uh, Jesus. And uh, Joe, who read scripture in the early service, said, you can't help but listen to this scripture and think of Handel's Messiah. And that is true because I, uh, as I was preparing the sermon, listened to Handel's Messiah. You can't help but read this scripture and think of these names of Jesus and think of uh, this great uh, work that Handel did, but, but uh, we often are so familiar with it that we don't know its great significance. And so this morning, I want to share with you three distinctives of Jesus as king, Jesus as king. King, that's the R in Aerocross. The first R is he is king. And three distinctives of him as king. The king, this child born a king, had a gracious purpose. And we discover his purpose with three little prepositions. They seem so insignificant, but they really do matter. Last week we discovered that he is God with us. He is God with us. That's the first preposition. And today we'll discover two more. One, that he is God for us. He is God for us. For unto us a child is born. Uh, God came not for himself through Jesus, but for us. Jesus himself in Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says it like this, it shall not be so among you, uh, but whoever would be great among you must become your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to 
serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came for you. He came not to serve himself. He was born with a specific plan in mind for his life. You see, we struggle to get this in our culture. Why? Because here, presidents are elected. Yes, they're born, but we have no clue who they are. Uh, in May, uh, Prince William and, uh, and, and Kate had a baby girl. And she was much celebrated, and they have their formal ways of announcing the birth of royalty, and they, they put it out on a board outside of Buckingham. Uh, now they use Twitter, the articles say, talking about it. They use kind of the modern stuff, but they had a baby, and that baby had no clue the significance of her life. Why, she just depends on her mom and dad like any other baby. But she's born into royalty. So it is with Jesus. He doesn't know as a, as a newborn the significance of his life, but he was born for a very significant purpose. He came uh, to be with us. He came to be for us. And this passage says, for unto us. A child is born. He was a son given to us. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look at this, if you look at the way Isaiah said it, he said the same thing essentially twice. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here's what's strange about that. What's strange about that is that when he says a child is born and the government will be upon his shoulders, it's implied in Isaiah's day that has to be a boy because women were not political leaders in Israel. It, it, it's implied that if it's a king, it's going to be a son from the line of David. Why does he say, then follow it up with unto us a son is given? It seems redundant. It seems unnecessary. Isaiah, why do you mention that? The writer of Hebrews gives us a clue. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by whom? His son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. When Isaiah says, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, he's saying this will not only be the son of his earthly mother, as described in Isaiah chapter 7, he will be the son of God. This child has great future. He's born into royalty. Uh, we see the king has a gracious purpose. What are the implications of this? Number one, if Jesus is with you, you are never alone. You are never alone. Remember a few weeks ago, Harold Grindstaff, uh, you may have been here that Sunday when Harold uh, had, uh, when I mentioned a friend of Harold's, an older woman in her 80s who had gone all her life without Christ. 
I mentioned her. Uh, Harold wanted us to pray for her to come to faith in Christ. And uh, I don't know if uh, you were here the next Sunday. I think I shared it with you that that very morning that we prayed, Harold was at hospice with her and led her to faith in Christ. And she, in her 80s, came to know and love and uh, came to know Jesus in her 80s, on her deathbed, came to Christ. She died this week. And uh, Harold was here this morning. And when I saw him, uh, I asked how he was doing. And he said that uh, I knew Eileen had died. And he said, I, I wasn't able to be there. Uh, but I'm glad that the chaplain was there because I, I didn't want her to die alone. I said, oh, Harold, from the moment she trusted Christ as her Savior, she was never alone. You, you are not alone. If God is with you, you are never alone. Implication number two, if Jesus is for you, you are never outnumbered. You are never outnumbered. No matter who the enemy may be or the, how strong the temptation may be that comes your way, how significant the battle is that you are fighting today, you are never outnumbered. The enemy against you is never stronger than the Jesus who lives inside of you. You are never outnumbered. Implication number three, if Jesus was given to you, you are never abandoned. You are never alone. You are never outnumbered and you are never abandoned. Why? Because Jesus, the son, was given to you. The king has a gracious purpose. Secondly, we see from Isaiah's uh, just two verses here that the king has a glorious name. He has a glorious name. He is called Wonderful Counselor. Now, here's what's fascinating. If you look at these words in the Hebrew, they're both nouns. It is a counselor who is a wonder. That word wonder shows up in the uh, books prior to Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, when God showed up to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to take my people out of Egypt. And Moses took them out and they got to the Red Sea and they could hear the, the, the hooves of the horses of the Egyptians in the background. And they knew they were in trouble. God said to Moses, just take your staff and, and touch the water. And he created a virtual aquarium on either side. And the army left out of Egypt. Uh, the Israelites called that miracle a wonder. That's a wonder. When they got into the wilderness and they were wandering in the wilderness, not knowing which way to go, there was by day cloud and by night a pillar of fire. The Israelites referred to that cloud and that fire as a wonder. That's a wonder. When they uh, were thirsty in the desert... And God said to Moses, speak to the rock. And water came out, not just to uh, satisfy the thirst of three or four, but of a million plus. They call that 
a wonder. When they got hungry and, 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 and honey crispy, um, croissant like flaky bread fell from heaven, they called that a wonder. And quail flew in and they ate that for meat, they called that a wonder. This child is a counselor who is a wonder. He is. Oh, he would live that out. He was on the boat, asleep in the bottom of it, when the storm came up. And when the storm came up and the people became afraid, the disciples, they go down. Jesus, we're we're drowning. We're, We're dying in this storm. And this Jesus, who was a wonder, steps up to the boat and looks out over the sea and says, Peace, be still. And the storm And the disciples look at one another and say, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is a counselor who is a wonder. He has a glorious name. Uh, Secondly, he is mighty God. This word might is akin to the word hero. He is a hero whose unique characteristic is that he's God. All right, so we've all had different heroes in our day, I would think, right? Um, Today, if you're an NBA fan, LeBron James may be your hero. Uh, These days, if you're an NFL fan, it could be Cam Newton because... We're winning, right? So Cam Newton may be your hero. Maybe it's your mom or your dad who is a hero to you. Whoever it may be, someone you've never met or someone you know personally, I guarantee you this, they're not God. This is a hero whose primary characteristic is that he is God. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He is mighty God He is a counselor who is a wonder. He is a hero who is God. He, uh, thirdly, is everlasting father. Uh, That means he has the characteristics of a father described very well in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I would say to you this morning, if you're, you're a mom or a dad, as your children were growing up or are growing up, if you forget that they're children, they'll live a miserable life, won't they? Three-year-olds do what three-year-olds do. Six-year-olds do what six-year-olds do. Children are children. How does God do this? God remembers that you and I are dust. Aren't you glad? You know what that means? And some of you walked in here thinking this this morning. It means that God doesn't sit up in heaven and go, ah, again, 
He he remembers that we are dust. He knows what we are made of. He is reminded that we are not God, that we are not created uh, uh, without sin. We have a sin nature, a sin problem. God, as a compassionate father, thankfully remembers that. He has that father-like heart, Jesus simply trekking through the town of Nain. Saw a funeral procession, and it was a widow, which obviously means her husband had died, and she had one boy, and he was dead. And what that meant for that widow was that that was her livelihood. You see, she either depended on her husband, or she depended on a male child, if her husband died. It meant that her future was uncertain, that her plans were unclear, that she was facing a very different future than she had experienced in her past. It also meant that grief had moved into her house. Husband Now, son, what does Jesus, this everlasting father, do? He he does what a rabbi should never do. He walks up to that, that lifeless form and touches him. Then he comes to life and gives that grieving widow back her son. He is, Isaiah says, the everlasting father. He has a father heart, but you can't leave out the word everlasting. Uh, What does that mean? It means he will never give up on you. If he is everlasting, he's your dad for good, forever. He's not going to kick you out of the family. He's not going to exclude you from the fellowship. He's not going to uninvite you to the family get-together. He's not going to say, hey, you've done that one too many times. I'm done with you. It's finished. It's over when you're in. Wow, you're in. When you're his, you're his. When he loves you, you're loved. When he takes you in, you want to be in. There's something about his love, his unending, his everlasting fatherly love that is re, he, he's reminded that you're formed out of dust. This king has a glorious name, and his name is a counselor who is a wonder. A hero whose characteristic is that he is God, a father who never, ever gives up. And the Prince of Peace. And in those days, Prince of Peace is an oxymoron. Why? Because princes came to power to make war to defend nations. But he, uh uh-uh, he's a prince who does his work peacefully. That leads us to the third distinctive. 
the king has an unending reign. Of the increase of his government, that little word, that word government has the word prince in it, connects the two. Of the increase of his government and of peace. He will not be a fighting king. Most governments find their increase through war. Not him. The increase of his government will be through peace. Most governments find their increase through conquest. Not Jesus. The increase of Jesus' government will be through peace. Through peace. Judas didn't get that, did he? No, Jesus came onto the scene when Rome was oppressing, when Rome was leaning in, when Rome was, uh, was uh, making life miserable if you were an Israelite. And so he fully expected Judas, fully, and many others, Jesus, to raise up an army, get rid of Rome. How bad was it? It was so bad. That if you were walking along, doing your own thing, minding your own business, and a Roman soldier came up alongside you and wanted you to carry his armor, the rule was you had to, just at his bidding, and you had to carry it a mile. So surely Jesus, the Messiah, is going to step into that and say, no more of that. I'm going to raise up these people, and I'm going to raise them up, and we're going, to, we're going to rebel against such ridiculousness. Jesus looks at the crowd of people and says this. If he tells you to take it or carry it a mile, carry it too. What? Yeah. If, if the soldier comes up and says, hey, take it one, Jesus says, carry it too. What kind of king is that? Well, you see, Judas and others had a temporary relief plan in mind. Get us out of Roman oppression. Jesus had an eternal perspective. How eternal? From this time forth and forevermore. From now until time never ends. He has an unending reign, one of peace. How does it happen? It happens through the Spirit of God working in the people of God to accomplish His purposes. I've seen that played out uh, again and again, and I've seen, I've seen it a couple of times this week. Yesterday, went to Dan's service. It was so good. It was just so fitting and so good. But back at First Press in this alcove, they looked like outcasts back there, was a crew sitting back there. Beforehand, they were loud. And I looked around and I thought, that's their small group from Grace. And they're just kind of back there. They're watching the video and they just hung out. That's how the gospel works, isn't it? That, that's, that's the Prince of Peace in his unending reign who started to work in all of those people's lives through the Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit compels them to be with Betty. On Friday at 3, I sang at a funeral. Lisa, two years younger than I, died of leukemia. Behind the pastor on the stage were boxes and boxes and boxes, shoe boxes, for Samaritan's Purse. And the pastor said, I was going to move them. And somebody said, don't do that. Why? Beginning in June, Lisa, Lisa, who was a manager of a Samir's, Lisa would come walking in every Sunday with a bag. And in it would be things for boxes every Sunday. They said, however many boxes, there were over a small, tiny church, all right? There were over 100 boxes behind there. And they said, if it weren't for Lisa, we wouldn't have these boxes. Why? Why would somebody like Lisa grab a bag, spend 20 bucks a week for half the year? Holy Spirit went to work in her, called her to himself. And boxes like those go into war-torn and war-ravaged areas with the gospel of the peace of God in Jesus Christ. That started 2,000 years ago, and it has never ended. How? How does this happen? Isaiah answers that question. The zeal of God will accomplish it. That word zeal we use not so much today. It means passion. It here refers to the jealous love of God for his people. The jealous love of God. God is so jealously in love with his people. He'll bring it to pass. Wow. This king, this king is a gracious he came with a gracious purpose he has a glorious name and he has an unending reign but one day it seemed to come to a screeching halt all the miracles everything he had done and he's arrested And they drag him off to be beaten. 39 times that whip came across his back and just jerked the very flesh out of his body. They put a cross beam on his back to carry uh, to the side of the road there. And he fell under its weight and someone else grabbed it. And he stumbled there to the place of the skull. He so didn't look like a king in that moment. So, so they took a crown. Uh, kings wear crowns. They, they took a crown, but it was made of thorns, and they just brought it down 
over his head into his flesh the blood poured kings wear purple and so he did and they stripped him naked and they cast lots for his purple robe king Isaiah Isaiah where where is he now wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of where is he now Isaiah They they nailed him to the cross beam. They lifted him up on the cross. They made a sign that went over the cross that said what? Hail, King of the Jews. This is not how it was supposed to go. This wasn't it. The crowd jeered and Mary cried. John sighed. Judas died. The sky got dark. God turned his back. Jesus cried from the cross and died. What? This wasn't the plan. King? Three days later, The earth trembled. The stone rolled. The angels folded close. And Jesus rose. Victorious over death and hell and the grave. This king... I would say to you this morning that that our thinking has to change. Why? No event in history, no event in human history has been so applauded, studied, critiqued, criticized. So much so that Handel, when he wrote his Messiah, would have a remarkable spiritual experience doing so. And some of you may have seen this video, but five years ago, still, 2,000 plus years later, this king with a glorious name would be applauded and lauded in the most unusual of places. Check it out.
Would you stand? It only makes sense for us after hearing about a Jesus who is the King of kings and Lord of lords to sing to him. Amen? And that's why we're going to end our time together this morning, singing a song that you sang already. But somehow I feel that now as we sing this song to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, to the Prince of peace, to the Counselor who is a wonder, to the everlasting Father that we're going to sing with some passion and with some zeal. Let's worship him together. He's listening in this morning. Let's worship him. Lost our saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your At the sound of your worship him this morning, Jesus, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain for us, son of God, man, you are high and lifted up, that all the world will praise your great name. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. the sound of your great name. Hungry souls receive grace at the sound of your great name. The fatherless, they find their rest at the sound of your The dead are raised at the sound of your great name. Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Son of God, Emmanuel, high and lifted up, that all the Think of these words. Sing these to him. Redeemer, my healer, almighty, my savior, defender, you are my king. Redeemer, my healer. 
Jesus, one day we will join with millions and millions of saints, those who have blazed the trail before us and those who will come after, those we've recently said goodbye to and those who will say goodbye to us. And we will gather around your throne and on that day, you as the center of our attention with all our sin gone, without any inhibition, without any fears, without any worries, without any dread, without any of the things that tend to hold us down in moments like these, we will sing to you, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And Jesus, we will see your eyes shine bright and we will see your glory like we've never seen you before. Until then, we sing with all the constraints of earthly limitations we experience. We give you what we can. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy are you, Jesus, to receive honor and praise. You came as a baby. One day you'll come as the reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you in this place. We praise you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And all your people say, amen. Amen.